What's up, everyone? Last weekly roundup of the year. We're doing something special here. Um, first things first, though. Santi, how you doing, my friend? GM, my friend. Good, good. GM, it's good GM. to be here. Nice. Uh, what's the What's the story of the thing in the background? Well, you know, last time I I shared the podcast with one of my good friends and said I had the door closed and there was all this clothes hanging. They're like, you got to level up your game here. Like, what's going on? And, and naturally, I just had to open the door because I had this custom made because it so uh, speaks to me. You know, I. Um, as we say in crypto, you know, we, we like ape into things and there's ape culture. So, uh, you know, obviously, uh, that's my little ape right there. that reminds me of, of who I am every time I come in and out, you know, my office. So you got a custom made ape and what, what is the ape holding? I can't fully see it. It is holding a barrel. Uh, and, and it, I love Donkey Kong. So that's why I, lo- I, I like when I saw these, it, it was like, I discovered who the artist was and I said, like, well, you gotta make a custom, you know, one for me. So obviously Ethereum gas, you know, that sort of meme. And then also it has the Ethereum logo on it. Um, so, you know, I actually had a custom Bitcoin one too, different color and it broke. And you on sold the way your Bitcoin. <laughs> no, 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 no. It actually broke on the way here. And, and, and someone said, well, that's, you know, that's just, uh, uh, very symbolic and, you know, it's no longer here. So that's the only ape in my house. <laughs> quotes it broke he sells your bitcoin <laughs> smashes the thing on the ground we're moving past bitcoin baby hey man i'm, I'm, I'm pretty superstitious so <laughs> i believe in i believe in magic as you know and so um you know this is the only ape here love it all right guys here's what we're doing today um first we're gonna start with like five ten minutes um of just like just thoughts on the year like quick recap of 2021 um primarily santi's gonna lead that just thinking about like uh, he made some some interesting predictions at the beginning of the year and just how'd we do on those? How'd he do on those? Um, but the real goal of this episode is to make some predictions for next year. Uh, Santiago's laid out six or seven predictions. I've got like uh, seven predictions. I think I was supposed to do seven. I did eight. Um, basically, the structure of this is going to be I'm going to ask Santiago or share Santiago's prediction. I'm going to share my thoughts around his prediction. I also made my predictions separate from Santiago. We did not talk about these beforehand. So for example, the first one relates to L1s. I'm going to share his prediction about L1s. I'll share my prediction about L1s. We'll talk about L1s in 2022 and we'll move past it. Sometimes we agree. Sometimes we don't agree. Sometimes we have similar theses around like things like gaming and L1s we both talked about. Sometimes Santiago talks about things like uh, the Ethereum merge. I didn't talk about that, so Santi will lead that section. So anyways, Santiago, are you ready to jump in, my friend? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Uh, lead this section. Take us home here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you made these great predictions at the the beginning of 2021, and, and you do a lot of mm-hmm. thinking about the space. And so yeah. what, what's kind of your, like, how are you thinking about closing out this year as we have yeah. a couple of days left here? And like, what did you find interesting? What did you get right? What did you get wrong? Mm-hmm. No, it's it's really important. I, I think just to, when you think about the future, I think you invariably need to think about okay, what was I thinking a year from now, a, a year ago from, uh, and and I think that's sort of in my process of coming up with these predictions for twenty twenty two. I thought it was important to just recap uh, some of the things that you know trends that I was seeing early in twenty 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 one, things that I totally missed. Um, and so I'll just walk through pretty quickly, and we can dive into them. The first one, obviously, NFTs. I mean, the, the, the explosive rise of NFTs really surprised me. I mean, obviously, you started to see it early in, in 2021, uh, but the extent by which you saw that hockey curve of, of OpenSea volume particularly has been very, very explosive. And I think it really started middle of this year. Um, you know, Bored Apes and all these different projects just dropping. And, um, you know, obviously, I think we're going to round up the year with 15 billion of volume. And so I was thinking about like, how big can this get? And I'll touch on this in my prediction for, for 2022. But I think the first one, unequivocally NFTs, um, huge, huge rise there. 
Uh, the second one was the rise of EVM compatible L1s. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, I was very excited about L2s in particular. Uh, but I think we, you know, we, we definitely saw Solana, Luna, Avalanche, Cosmos really, uh, maybe to some extent Polkadot, really come um, um, front and center. And a lot of investors, you know, we had the Solana conference earlier this year. I think a lot, a lot of people were really surprised about that. And, you know, I think that, that trend, as I'll talk about later on in the episode, will continue in, in, into the next year. Um, another big trend of 2021, uh, you know, EVM L1s um, were, uh, got more attention than, you know, L2s, like Arbitrum Optimism. I think Optimism was delayed. Um, you know, Arbitrum's obviously, uh, you know, probably leading the charge. Matic, Polygon is very strong. But I think the EVM L1s, you know, uh, probably captured much, much more attention. Uh, so I, I would have thought that L2s would have gotten more traction. And I think it was uh, EVM L1s that got more. Um, and so <clears throat> the other one, which is probably one of the more important ones, is gaming. You know how I'm, I'm so excited about gaming. This time last year, I was... You know, invested in Luvium and on the basis of seeing all the traction that Axie was starting to get. But, you know, I think like, um, let's just put some facts here. Axie, I think, is going to round up the year with 1.2, 1.5 billion in revenue. To put that in perspective, that that puts them in the top 10 or 12 gaming studios in the world. Like, not crypto, just full stop. Um, like, Sky Mavis, which is the company developing Axie, just one game, 20 employees. I think it has like less than 50 employees, uh, the latest I checked. But it's just shocking to me uh the extent by which actually actually ygg has really proven out this category um and how big game let's call that can be and we'll touch on that in 2022 <clears throat> um the owner has been um you know one of the things that i was like probably like more excited about that didn't get much traction was this cross-chain deployment you saw you you, know, you saw protocols like sushi and 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 ave primarily in DeFi land start deploying in some of these um you know other chains you know, from Binance Smart Chain to like Phantom to, um, you know, uh, uh, Avalanche and others. And I think like the traction there was just kind of like lukewarm. I think like a lot of these deployments were just marketing um, and, and kind of didn't really get much traction. On the other hand, projects that are just forking stuff um, probably got more attention, uh, like PancakeSwap, right? Um, and so that was interesting. Um, and obviously, you know, something to just kind of zoom out right a little bit is I think it's been pretty impressive that the awareness that you're starting to see in crypto just mainstream, obviously NFTs contribute to that, but like, you know, let's Coinbase IPO'd FTX crypto.com, you know, each respectively had massive partnerships with sports arenas. So obviously touching on that and, you know, that's going to continue into next year into the, the, the level of awareness in a crypto, you know, we've talked about fundraising a lot this in, in this episode, in the series of episodes. I think that obviously, um, you know, from both retail and institutional side of things, just level of awareness continued to, to rise pretty substantially. Um, and then just really quickly, you know, certain things that I was very excited about that didn't really come to fruition as much, or was just sort of my expectation was that it was going to probably continue into this year and, and kind of didn't really was DeFi, probably most important. I think it was a hangover from summer highs. And, you know, a lot of DeFi assets, um, the, the progress is there. It just, you know, people just moved on to other narratives and trends, uh, included in that is sushi. Uh, I was pretty excited about the roadmap of sushi, uh, Maki, but you know, Maki left a lot of the core team sort of disbanded. Uh, there's an interesting proposal to restructure. I don't think it's dead, but you know, I think like they, they've been sort of slow into the, the deployment of Vento box and show you and all this stuff. So 
I think sushi uh, is something that we talk about here a lot. Um, and, and, and of course, like, I think one of the other things is uh, this sort of regulatory wall of worry that always exists in crypto. I don't think it was as bad as we would have thought. Like, you know, we ended last year with um, departing, was the Secretary of the Treasury Mnuchin leaving and try to, like, do this midnight ruling, which really scared uh, the shit out of me. Um, but, you know, it, it obviously got, it didn't, it didn't go anywhere. Um, and the infrastructure bill was also, you know, pretty, pretty daunting, I'd say the, the initial version. And I think a lot of, a lot of what this has caused is one, it wasn't as aggressive as we would have thought, but it more importantly rallied a lot of people within the industry and even outside to, and I think politicians realized, wow, like there's a lot of people who care about crypto, which is not just this minority. I think the infrastructure bill created a lot of bipartisan support, um, and discussion. And so I think the dialogue continues to improve and I'm, I've been pretty excited about that, which is, you know, I think we, we talk about regulation. It's a boring topic, but I think it, it's something that is important. And I think regulators have come to understand that this is too big and we need to be really thoughtful to, to, in how we regulate it. So I'll pause there. That was sort of my quick, dirty recap. I, I also have thoughts on some of these things. I think one of the, the biggest things that I was just surprised by is there's all these market narratives like market cycles and price predictions and things like that. So a couple of them, right. were like blow off top. Um, you know, a lot of people might, thought we might have a blow off top at the end of this year, carrying into early next year. Those people who thought that probably were around in like 2017 blow off top to end, end the year starts going down in, in uh, the beginning of the year. There were a bunch of other market cycle theses, not a single one of them came true. I think that just the market has surprised people. Like we've been floating sideways for quite a while right now. Um, and, th and that's really been surprising. And then the other thing I'm just, uh, is a little surprising, but also just happy about, and like, it, it, I guess I should have expected it is the sectorization of the space. Um, and you know, DeFi goes down, DeFi hangover, gaming goes up, uh, while NFTs kind of chill, gaming goes flat, NFTs start booming. Uh, and I think it's really exciting to see, and I think it's really good for the space. So that's that's one of the most important things that started to happen in 2021, in, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good one. Probably the most important one, to be honest. The, the, yeah. This idea that crypto is so many things for and, and big markets, uh, each respectively, NFTs, gaming, DeFi, Bitcoin. Yeah. So so absolutely. Yeah. I also had uh, I also thought Coinbase was going to be worth more than, uh, or was going to buy a major bank by the end of 2021, which did not come true, which I re really wish it came true. I'm, I'm talking like, not like a Wyoming license with a little bit of Bitcoin on the balance sheet. I'm talking like a globally significant financial yeah, like, like institution. Yeah, like buy Deutsche Bank, right? 10 to $50 billion market cap, UBS, Barclays, Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse, M&T, Ally Bank. I thought they were going to buy one of those folks. Uh, yeah. That did not come true. I also, I will say I kind of got one prediction, which is I thought this is when it seemed crazy that companies would raise this much money when the rounds were more like 50 million. Uh, I thought that more than one crypto company would raise a billion dollar round this year. Uh -huh. Came close to that. We had only one. I said more than one. Nidig just raised a billion dollar, uh, billion dollar round. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, FTX almost squeaked in with a $900 million uh -huh. round earlier this year so well to be fair just to put that in perspective i thought uh interesting stat here coinbase which has been pretty depressed in my opinion you know it's trading on like a you know 26 time forward p ratio it's got a market about 55 billion deutsche bank 25 billion so they could definitely do that and the year's not over so you know yeah. so we're gonna get downvoted to hell like that ubisoft nft release uh if we keep doing 2021 <laughs> reflection yeah. so let's get into uh give the people what they want let's talk about 2022 first big thing here santi here's what you wrote continued rise of L1s. You mentioned things like Near and Phantom. Mm -hmm. uh, I had something similar, actually. My very first one, I said L1 stay hot. Um, and I can talk about kind of sub predictions within that. But tell, tell us what you're thinking about these L1s. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think um, in particular, I'll talk about Nier, um, which is for a long time, I felt like it's sort of like an R&D shop of Ethereum. It has a really competent technical team. Ilya, who, you know, one of the co-founders, they come from Google. They're, they're really sharp guys. I've always felt that it was really solid tech, but they sort of weak on the business development side of things. Um, and, it, you know, recently I think I've noticed an uptick in number of projects that are looking to deploy in, in an EVM compatible uh, chain like, like Aurora, which is sort of like a moonbeam for uh, uh, Polkadot. Similar as Aurora allows you to like really deploy uh, EVM compatible apps there. And so I, I think they're done. A, uh, I've always felt that it sort of is a few steps ahead in Ethereum scalability roadmap, you know, because they move faster, they're more nimble. And so it's pretty interesting to see that um, and seeing a lot of projects and interest deploying there. So I think Nier, I tweeted about this a while back, but I, I think Nier is, is probably going to be one of the next uh, L1s to really come front and center. Um, and the other one is Phantom. You know, I think there's been a lot of activity recently. I mean, obviously, Andre's always been a strong supporter. You have Danny as well. There's a plan to restructure Sushi from these two folks. And so I, I think there's a lot of, um, um, when I think of like, you know, obviously like, you probably touched on this, like the, the L1s, the usual suspects in this category, are probably Avalanche and, you know, Solana and Terra, potentially Cosmos. I haven't heard as much about Polkadot, even though some interesting things are happening there. But these are the two that just come top of mind for me, um, uh, in particular Nier. Nier has run up this year from basically a dollar, I think it was, at, uh, to start the year to like 16 bucks. It's at like 14 bucks today. Phantom at, what is that, two cents? <laughs> 1.7 cents uh all the way up to two bucks 20 cents um interesting so they, they've already run up a ton this year i mean you think <laughs> these things kind of have like solana avalanche type years next year you know i don't like to think about like obviously you look at the relative market cap and yeah i mean when you when you think about the upside i mean yes i mean uh, you have solana is trading at what like Terra, for instance is trading at like 100 billion fully diluted solana is a what uh i forget now these days the market's taking a beating as of late but you know solana you, you have multi, you know obviously you could think about fully diluted or current circulating supply is important distinction you know i always like to look at both but you know um yeah solana when you when you look at like I my when I came at this is more like the level of developer interest in these two projects I think is interesting and when you compare by like the relative valuation you know obviously you know a lot of these things are I like to invest in super early stage stuff and so but the question is you always kind of in crypto sort of valuation frameworks are, are less established right and so I think a lot of the this L1 trade is enticing because you know, obviously, when I was investing in DeFi, it's a lot like fundamentals, right? You can do run discounted cash flows on a on a on a you know, AMM or like or Dex like Uniswap or Sushi or you know Ave. There's these protocols are cranking out cash flow, and so it's easier to value. But you know, I think L ones are a bit more difficult, um, and so relative valuation serves as a good proxy. Um, yeah. And so, <clears throat> you know, obviously, there's you know the the relative you know if you can get similar activity. The framework is if you can get similar activity of what Terra is seeing, then if Nier can accomplish that, then you know it's interesting if you believe that, um, and if you believe that the valuation of Terra is bare, right, or Solana, or Ethereum, or Bitcoin, it's hard, right? I, I, this is why I don't necessarily like to do these L1 trades, um, but nonetheless, I mean, I, I think there's a there's a great report we should probably link to, which is the uh, Electric Capital 
developer report and they look at all GitHub repos, not perfect science, but I think if you look at over time, the number of developer and commits and, you know, you sort of look at all the, a lot of the different metrics, then I think developer activity is, is the thing that I latch onto to understand where are people going to. And, you know, I think there's relatively decent interest in these two um, L1s and they haven't been front and center. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not like do. you don't see it yeah. in crypto Twitter as prevalent, if you will. Yeah. So it's funny you bring, so it's funny you start talking about things like near and phantom. I don't know as much about these kind of, uh, about both of these as you do, but I did write new L1s that are not AVAX, Solana, and Luna will start showing up in the mainstream. Um, it's obviously really, really hard to get over the network effects uh, and compete with the network, network effects of other L1s that already have users and already have projects. But if this year showed us anything, it's that with a lot of brute force and also a lot of capital, uh, you can actually you can you can get over that network effect hump. Uh, and the Absolutely. other thing I wrote is just I think the total market cap of ETH competition will end up matching or exceeding ETH at some mm -hmm. point in 2022. So ETH right now is worth uh, is market cap of uh, 450 billion at the time of recording this. Solana 55 billion, Terra 30 billion, Avax 25 billion, Near about 10 billion, Cosmos and FTM about 5 billion each. Mm -hmm. This All is of circulating supply, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that combined is about 130 billion. So ETH 450 billion, all of that combined 130. Mm -hmm. Quick mental math, we're looking at like roughly 25%, more like 20, I don't know, 28, 29%. I think mm -hmm. those, I think ETH will have a really good year in 2022, uh, 2022 with the merge, but I think the L1s will collectively go up more than 4X, more than ETH, mm -hmm. so that the combined market cap of ETH competition will match or exceed that of ETH. That's my. Hmm. That's really interesting. We should probably plot this out, like the composite, you know, L1s versus ETH. And if you could do a trade on that, then you're saying just go long that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, cool. Hmm. Next. Um, next prediction, Santi, you said gaming continues to dominate. Um, I actually had something similar as like my sixth prediction. I said GameFi gets big. Um, Again, I'm not as deep into gaming as you are. I know you've been pretty deep into things like Alluvium for, for a while. I'm just biased. This is, this is my prediction where I get to be biased because mm -hmm. I've been playing DeFi Kingdoms every day and just love mm -hmm. the game. And uh, I've been tweeting about it and hyping it up because I really like it. It's, I haven't gamed in a while, but I used, to be, I used to play a lot, I think like a lot of crypto people as a kid. And like DeFi Kingdoms for me is the first game where I've A, most importantly, enjoyed playing it, but B the integration of DeFi and NFTs into a game is like, is mind blowing for me. Like you can read all these articles on medium. You can read all these Twitter threads. I am like, if you go to the farm in the game and you, and you give your, uh, you give your like jewel seeds, you basically give your seeds to this farmer. And what you're doing is you're creating a liquidity pool, uh, or you're becoming a liquidity provider on this, on uh, various liquidity pools. And like, there's really, really, really nice integration of DeFi and NFTs into the game. Like I bought a hero, that's an NFT. Um, and it's got characteristics and things like that, that are rare. So that's my like, like just biased prediction just from playing one game i'm like if i like this and i'm not a huge gamer i can only imagine what it's going to do for everyone else but i mean you mentioned things like alluvium embersor defy land guild of guardians can you just give us high level like what's going on with this prediction gaming continues to dominate yeah look absolutely i mean i think like um I'll, I'll tell you why i think gaming is is still relatively nascent um 
you know, a, a, I've said it before, but Axie as a game is is good, but it doesn't probably compete against you know Web two game, you know, Call of Duty or World of Warcraft. Uh, these other games, I think, are going to be more immersive because they were built at a different time, and so you you have a possibility of, of, of building really immersive game experiences that at least that I sort of ascribe to. You know, like obviously a battler is interesting, but like Alluvium, I don't, you know, the team. If you haven't seen it, just go check out their Discord, follow Kieran. The, the graphics of it and it are just so immersive. And maybe this is what you felt with DeFi Kingdoms as well. And, and so I'm really excited because a lot of the criticism in crypto has always been, look, you're making these trade-offs. It's either not as good of a game, not as good of an experience, but you know the, the ability to be your have ownership and agency over these things makes makes up for that. But I, I, I or you like the user experience of some of these wallets or applications. I just think that more and more these applications, these games are rivaling and are you know pound for pound from a UX UI perspective, graphics game lore, are are just like Web two games, and the quality of that is is going to show up. And so I think that that is what makes me most most bullish about this category. You know that you know we talk a lot about play to earn, which I don't think is a sustainable and pr- probably not the best like nomenclature here. Which is I'm excited about play and earn. You, we obviously as these more immersive games come out you will attract spenders, which are a big component of these games. And that's something we haven't seen. I think we're going to see it next year with these very immersive games. You know, obviously, uh, when you look at the roadmap, Illuvium's probably going to go first in Q1. We're going to have Kieran um, early on next year. Ember Sword, um, probably in Q2. DeFi Land, Guild of Guardians, just, just a bunch of others, right, um, that, are gonna, that are going to roll out. And so, you know, just anecdotally, <clears throat> Slush is a great conference in Finland. Finland's in Scandinavia in general. Like, Finland as a country has produced one of the best games out there, like, from Angry Birds. Um, I think it was Candy Crush and a bunch of others. And I wasn't there. I was supposed to go. But I've been tapping into that, like, for instance, one of the founders of Counter-Strike is now advising a Web3 project, um, a gaming Web3 project. Um, and they're going to try to build a better, ver- like, a better version of Counter-Strike with all the elements of Web3. Mm-hmm. So, like, imagine that. And that's going to happen next year. And so I think uh, from a talent perspective, a lot of these developers, similar to artists that are now moving to NFT land pretty aggressively, I think a lot of these game developers are, are realizing that there's something really cool in Web3. I mean, let's not forget Vitalik. The reason why we started Ethereum is because he had a bad experience in World of Warcraft. So, you know, um, I think there's a lot of community out there that is waiting to play these games and... And again, I think it continues to be the Trojan horse that uh, onboards, you know, millions of users into the space. So again, continue to be really bullish on that. Cool. Uh, I have a couple other thoughts on gaming. Uh, one prediction is that play to earn. Uh, people realize that's a bit of a misnomer. I don't think these games. I don't think these games should be branding themselves as play to earn. Uh, if you look at actually the user base of a lot of these games, let's take Axie for example. There are players are not doing two things. They're not playing and earning. There are players who treat it like a job and they earn and like they are grinding they are hustling and they are trying to make a living playing axie and then there are players the majority of the players that are just playing it because they like it and because their friends play it and the same reason that you play call of duty and halo and these kind of things because you enjoy it right and it's social status and things like that so i think a lot of the branding and like crypto twitter talk makes it seem like everyone who plays these games is playing to earn that's actually a small subset of these games these games won't get big until the majority of players spend more than they make in these games because they just love the game Mm -hmm. right and so that's or even take out spending just because they love the game so that's that's one thought there the next thought is uh metaverse land people realize that scarce land is not the perfect system for this Mm -hmm. 
Um, I actually did some research uh, over the weekend, and there are a lot of stories of like pre-crypto days, uh, people buying the ability in-game to buy land just with like dollars or whatever, mm-hmm. and it, a lot of stories of it ruining games, um, mm-hmm. which I need to dig into more, and I'll start sharing findings. But I think there's a really interesting argument that land scarcity, as we talked about last time, is the wrong wrong model here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the final thing is like just one takeaway from playing DeFi Kingdoms: every single transaction you need to sign with your mm-hmm. wallet. Right, so like DeFi Kingdoms is on Harmony. Every single time I go do a quest, every time I do anything, you have to sign. And mm. so for something like, um, like a RuneScape type of game, or like these kind of like role play games, like I, I I could see how they it would work like that. But something like a Halo or like a Call of Duty, like I don't understand yet how those can be crypto games mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's just so many actions being taken. Right. And how do you make it so you don't have to sign? Each act, how do you make it so each action action isn't a transaction? Yeah. So that's just something yeah. I'm thinking about. That's a good point. Yeah. Something to keep in mind when we talk to Gabby, Kieran, and and we should bring on as we many. Have a lot of ga- gaming shows. Gaming stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, awesome. Let's get into the third thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Ethereum's merge, the merge, happened sometime in Q2. I actually didn't <clears throat> talk about this, which I think was maybe a botch on. I didn't have this as one of my predictions, but t- mm-hmm. tell us why this is so important. Look, it's not so much of a, 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 you know, the prediction is for me, and we talked about it last time, I think people are underestimating or not fully appreciating how explosive this is going to be. You know, there's been discussions about the merge happening sometime next year, whether it's Q2, Q3. I'm not trying to make an exact estimation when that's going to happen, but I'll tell you why it's important. So for context, the merge is the upgrade that we've been finally waiting for in Ethereum that really just swaps out proof of work with proof of stake. Obviously, there's been the beacon chain. Um that, you know, is sort of like a transition into the ultimate goal, which is the merge. Um, and, and which means proof of work is a consensus engine will be deprecated and all blocks in Ethereum going forward, you know, will be produced via proof of stake. Uh, why, why is that important? Uh, a couple things. One, the current emission of ETH under proof of work equates to like 13,500 ETH per day. When you annualize that, the inflation is like roughly 4.3%. Let's call it that. Um, once the merge happens, the ETH inflation curve is sort of like dynamic and, and is based on the proof of stake, however much ETH is staked as a percentage of the total kind of supply. And so the issuance model changes a bit. And what does that mean? Well, that means that sort of the, the, the estimated, and there's a couple of projections here, and we can link to them in, in, in the pod notes, but the inflation kind of all of a sudden drops to like practically zero, um, 03 0.4% if you will, like some estimates, which is kind of crucially below Bitcoin's inflation, which is 1.7, right? And there's all of these being criticisms of Ethereum total supplies being uncapped and all this stuff. And so I think like this, this I think is important um, in for a number of reasons. Now you factor on top of that sort of the EIP 1559, which has been live for a while, net inflation is actually going to be negative. So, so this will be a deflationary um, uh, network. And so there's a couple of really important things. One, obviously, there's been a lot of criticisms in this L1 discussion, competing L1s, that Ethereum is moving too slow, that it's abandoned its users, that it doesn't, care, you know, that the roadmap's been delayed. Like, these are hard problems to solve, right? And so I think <clears throat> the merge will really lend more credibility, and I think will be a refresh, you know, um, um, in bringing more attention in Ethereum, which you know, candidly, a lot of people just kind of left it for dead in many ways. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, from an energy efficiency standpoint, proof of work is much more efficient. The proof of, uh, proof of stake is much, much more efficient than proof of work. 
And so just kind of, uh, I think it, it, it may attract a different set of institutional market participants that haven't invested in the asset class because they're concerned about, you know, ESG stuff. And so, uh, and the last thing I'll, they'll point out is let's just not forget. So the, the, the merge does not solve the high gas fees that you're seeing in Ethereum. I, I think that will actually continue to persist. I make a prediction here, but I think gas fees are going to continue to where they are now or discontinue a rise or there's more demand for block space in the L1, which is important to make that distinction because the merge, all it does is just really just you transition to proof of stake and that's explosive, but it doesn't solve high gas fees. High gas fees can be solved if you go to an L2. That's really it. Yeah. Um, so just to recap that, like when you think about what this solves and what this doesn't solve in layman's terms, it does not solve high gas. It does solve... Uh, you know, like this, it, I mean, it moves from proof of work to proof of stake. So like a lot of the kind of maybe institutional funds who are worried about uh, ESG investing and things like that, it, it kind of enables them to buy ETH. Like, is there, is there anything outside of, outside of that, that you think is really important? Does it increase stake, like staking, uh, like the staking industry? Like what are, what are kind of the second I mean, order implications I, of this? I've always felt the proof of stake is just sort of like a more, I mean, this is an entire discussion altogether, but like proof is, when you think about proof of work, I mean, there's a lot of miners that are expending this CapEx, which is ASIC chips. You know, I, th I think there was a, uh, an investment for Millennium that bought like 900 million of, 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 of Bitcoin miners uh, from Bitmain. The problem with that is that miners always constantly have, there's always constantly this, this, this selling pressure from miners that are constantly selling to recoup their CapEx. And a lot of these ASIC chips depreciate pretty quickly. And so it's just been, it's, it's tricky. In proof of work, I think there's always this tension between a miner and a long-term holder of, of something like Bitcoin in a proof of work network. Um, in proof of stake, you, you sort of, I've always felt to be more sustainable in the sense of like the, you have, so if you hold the token, you stake it to, to, to be able to validate blocks in, in exchange, you, you, you get a reward. Um, and I felt that, that there's, that's just a more organic way to do consensus. And so there's, you know, you probably remember this, Jason, but like in two, uh, two, three years ago, a lot, there was a lot of criticism around proof of stake actually being a viable consensus mechanism. You know, obviously it's not as battle right. tested or proof of work and all this stuff. Uh, and there's concerns about proof of stake being rewarding the rich, which is i.e. existing token holders and all this stuff. But I get excited about proof of, proof of stake because I think it's just a more sustainable long-term, long-term way of reaching consensus. There's not a lot of chat about what happens to Bitcoin once the emission schedule dries up. Whereas proof of stake, I think, you know, is, is, is a much more, I think, probably sustainable way of, of reaching consensus. So yeah. um, there's obviously other proof of stake networks out there out in the wild. Um, uh, but, you know, Ethereum being what it is, I think uh, will send a huge message. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to agree. Uh, number four. Big one. This is a big one. Uh, resurgence of DeFi. I think this is a big section here. I also, one of my predictions was DeFi makes a comeback. Um, here's what I said. I said DeFi 1.0 gets institutionalized with permission to DeFi. DeFi te uh, 2.0, 10Xs uh, at least. Uh, and DeFi 1.0 continues partnerships with fintechs. Uh, fintech and crypto keep continue kind of merging as an industry almost. like, uh, And actually really crypto just continues eating fintech. A lot of these fintechs and banks will really 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 want the yield that DeFi can produce they'll partner with folks like uniswap and compound and uh, ave and all that kind of good stuff so um that's what i'm looking at but you had you kind of bucketed this into stable coins and tvl so tell us what you're thinking with the resurgence mm -hmm. of DeFi. 
Yeah, look, I, I think the first one is uh, stable coins have always felt they're the onboarding mechanisms here. We had Jeremy earlier in the episode earlier. Um, you know, I continue to think that this is this is the Trojan horse um, in, in, in a crypto. Uh, why? Because the ability to have a high yield savings account, which increasingly will be a trend next year, uh, maybe through permission DeFi, maybe through just normal DeFi with insurance or something or in or both. I mean, I think insurance is a key component to all of this. And there's a lot of really interesting projects building on this. But my prediction is I think we'll see one trillion of stable coins in circulation by the end of the next year. Uh, you know, just to put it in context, we started, we ended in December of 2020 at 5.8 billion. So a year ago, roughly 5.8 billion of stable coins in circulation. We're going to end this year with 100. We are at already at 150 billion. So that was a 25x increase in stable coins. Not all those in Ethereum, obviously some in Solana and Terra and, and Cosmos and the other chains. Uh, and so I'm thinking, I, I see a path towards getting to a trillion, potentially more between a six X to 10 X increase. Um, and the catalyst that I think of, which you alluded to is one is I, th I think major banks are going to continue to face pressure here. Uh, and they're going to want to integrate stable coins to offer a high yield savings account. Mind you, your bank of America or chase account is paying you 0%. But DeFi, uh, stablecoin yields are 10, 20, 30%. Now, you have to probably net out a couple of things there, like insurance eats into that a bit. But I think we'll get there. Um, and it's explosive, right? And I'll tell you, I think it's going to be someone like Circle that rolls out a high yield savings account. I mean, I think they already have. Um, and and I do. think that puts... They, they, have, they have a great right. business account. Yeah. Right. And, and they, they pay what? 6, 8%? <clears throat> like, also, like Meow. Uh, meow is meow.co. Just mm -hmm. launched a bunch of Gemini, the leading like right. security engineers from Gemini just launched this thing called Meow. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Same so, thing. Yeah. Exactly. So, so when, you're, when you're earning that in this environment where you're essentially paying banks to hold your money, right? Negative real rates with inflation, this becomes increasingly, increasingly compelling. And, and so that's, uh, I think, what I'm seeing. Uh, and stablecoins probably are the most important thing that will lead to a resurgence in DeFi activity. Um, the second one is, is, is TVL, um, total value lock can be like a sort of like an interesting metric, but also not interesting metric. We focus in it a lot. Um, my prediction here is I think TVL in other L1s will close the gap on Ethereum. I mean, there's a good chart here. Um, we'll probably link to it in, in the episode, but you know, obviously the, the lion share of TVL is in Ethereum at the moment. Um, you're seeing some interesting rise, but still, you know, for context, I think there's 150 billion of TVL in, in Ethereum. This is, by the way, great dashboard put out by the block, which I'm sourcing a lot of this info. Um, there are multiple ways of counting TVL, but, you know, let's just go with this. 150 billion TVL. We started the year, uh, you know, around, call it 25 billion. Uh, so like a 5x increase or so, uh, or 6x increase. And so... I think we're going to continue to see a rise in aggregate TVL. Can we, in the episode with Stani, we talked about, can we get to a trillion uh, for Aave or DeFi in general in Ethereum? And I think, I think that's possible um, primarily because, you know, I think, I think, a, and we, there's been an uptick in activity in DeFi protocols and especially Solana. And I think that might increase, uh, you know, that might be a big contributor. So I'm seeing a lot of this gap. Ethereum accounts for 150. I think that the rest composite which is terra binance smart chain solana avalanche and a few others are like you know less than 10 percent of that 12 percent yep. of that i think that gap is going to close meaningfully yeah yeah i mean it's pretty interesting you, 
when you talk when you when we go back to that like uh, corporate treasury thing, I'm going to jump to one of my predictions here, mm-hmm. which um, I talked about. Corporates will go. The corporates buying Bitcoin narrative will return, um, and actually an extension of that is kind of the what we're talking about with DeFi. I think that Web two companies will start just creating crypto treasuries in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at Meow's website, um, you know they're like basically what they're doing is they've developed a really simple compliant platform to access crypto yields for corporate treasury. And if you think about like all these companies that are raising a bunch of money in traditional web two, um, and, and then this narrative of inflation, really what you have is like a world where corporate treasury is seeking a way to just beat inflation. Uh, and, and with meow, I think I'm looking at the website here. It's, uh, like four or 5% a year that you get. Um, they, like if you're a corporate treasurer, let's say you have like 30 million bucks in the bank, you're getting 4% a year. That's $1.2 million of just free money. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it comes so, with some risk, right? I mean, there, there's still a risk on and DeFi. I think that's why you get these yields. But still, insurance will be added to that element um, and, and will solve a lot of this and unlock a lot of interest to deploy. Yeah. So one trillion stable coins in circulation. When you think about DeFi on other L1s, like mm-hmm. right now... <clears throat> Right now, I feel like a lot of the other L1s maybe have like some of them have games, some of them have NFTs. Like, will every single L1 have a a booming DeFi system and economy on top of it? I think so. I think you're already seeing that, right? The first thing that get built and forked uh, in in these protocols is DeFi, um, or having the ability to like an AMM, like you know, a money yeah, market. Like these Pangolin, are core. Trader Joe on Avalanche. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they're easy to fork. They're proven in Ethereum. And so you, you, I, th- I think that naturally that's going to probably, every every L1 is going to have a relatively decent developed um, basic financial functions. Maybe even some that haven't been readily easy to get traction in Ethereum, at least L1, something like perps, options, probably get more traction faster in Solana than they do in Ethereum L1. Now, they could get a lot of traction, some like Polygon or, you know, Optimism um, or, um, you know, uh, Arbitrum. Right. How do you play this from an, from an investor's seat? Like, if you look at this year, like, uh, at one point, Uniswap was at 44 bucks. Uniswap's down to 17 bucks right now, 18 mm-hmm. Uh Sushi, I don't know what Sushi's at today. I don't no, remember buying something. Sushi at like 15 bucks or something. It got crushed. I mean, it went all the way and down to five. It's ten, yeah. So it's actually been a healthy rally. As yeah. Well. So is this a good buying opportunity for some of these like DeFi one point? Let's forget like none of this financial advice. Yeah, and I always like to remind people that um, we need one of those like really obnoxious disclaimers at the beginning <laughs> of the show, like a red banner. <laughs> um, because look, I have, I have, uh, I have vested interest in a lot of this stuff. Like no surprise, huge DeFi, uh, in a DeFi and, and gaming and all this stuff. So when I talk about this, I, I, you know, I'd be remiss not to appreciate and, and acknowledge that, you know, there is a lot of bias here. So, you know, I'm always been pro, like very bullish on crypto, um, uh, try to be a little bit balanced in my predict predictions, but you know, again, can I think of something that is down 80% relative to ETH DeFi? It's out of favor. It's fine. And so, you know, I think if you have, if your crypto always rewards you, if you have patience, to see through the eventuality. Like, is DeFi dead? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, do you believe some of these valuations? I, I think when you make predictions about the volume, the users, which have been underwhelming, um, but a lot of volume is there and, and there are fees of these protocols. And so um, I think we need to get more users in. If we do that and and some of these other 
more utility gets built into this. So it's it's pretty amazing what you can do in DeFi. Like yeah, like I, I increasingly I dread working with my bank because anyone that sends a stablecoin transfer doesn't want to do wire, and I continue to believe this is going to be the operating standard of finance. And we're gonna we need if the biggest things that I think need to happen next year is insurance. We need to build better insurance models for the DeFi hacks are not fun. Things continue to break. Not you know we get more Lindy and ossification, but you know it's still relatively. This is why you get you know if you don't understand where the risk is coming from, you, you know if you don't understand where the yield is coming from, then you're the yield, right? And so you need to appreciate that there there is a lot of risk still in the system. But look succinctly, I think DeFi has been a ton out of favor this year. Yeah. And next year, I think will be much different. Have we yeah. bottomed? Probabilistically, I think there's much a higher is a very compelling risk reward. Let's put it that way of of deploying in things that are totally out of favor versus things that are euphoric. DeFi is not euphoric. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, my one of my extended DeFi predictions here is that decentralized options just completely explode. Like we had, uh, we had Antonio from DYDX on the podcast dropped yesterday. Um, Decentralized options, I think, completely explode, most likely on Solana. Like, if you look at it's kind of tough to get actually global data on this, but I think there's about 200 billion of global volume that happens every day in trading. About 135 billion is derivatives, 55 billion is spot. So that's a ratio of slightly over two to one. Mm -hmm. If you look at the DEX volume today, um, it's like I think DYDX does a couple billion a day in volume. Mm -hmm. I got to check those numbers, but I think, and I think a lot of this will happen on Solana. Uh, just because there's like, I mean, it's, I think that was like one of their first use cases, right? Is building a, Na- a NASDAQ for crypto. Um, mm-hmm. And I yeah. just think it's more cost and capital efficient and professional mm-hmm. traders were, will prefer a lot of the central limit order books that are getting built as a, opposed to kind of this AMM model used by things like Uniswap yeah. and Sushi. But we'll see. Yeah, it's it's really important. At some point we should do a deep dive, but like the ratio of option volume versus like spot in traditional markets in, in centralized exchanges to kind of inform your view of of why is there a discrepancy in a decentralized context and are you going to bridge that gap yeah um all right next prediction 15 billion this is you uh 15 billion in nft volume in 2021 santi's prediction 50 billion so more than a 3x increase 50 billion in nft volume in 2022 um for a little bit of context here uh, 20, uh, here's the volume data on the world's largest NFT marketplace, OpenSea right now, 2018, 475,000, 2019, 8 million. So we went from 470, about 500 K to 8 million, 2020, we do 24 million, right? So from 500 K to 8 million to 24 million last year, 15 billion, yeah. right? So completely exploded. You think we see that growth? You said more than a three x increase. What are you What are you thinking here with the I NFTs? Mean, the, there's a version of this world that this prediction is grossly underestimated. Um, I think most of that volume has been NFTs, like art NFTs. There's some gaming components of that, uh, but the ratio and again the block does a great breakdown. Most of that has been art, digital art. Uh, but I just see I see art continue continue to capture, say on the aggregate basis probably stays the same probably grows a bit maybe much much more um but really it's this idea of other type of nfts right and so i'm thinking definitely games it ties back to my earlier prediction um you know just to put it in context in-game purchases worldwide are 61 is a 61 billion dollar market now 
let's just say we capture some percentage of that. So you factor that in. Um, and then, and then you have music, which I think is a huge category. It will totally explode. I think we're ready for that. Insurance contracts, you know, I think real world assets can be captured as an NFT. And so just basically really conceptually, like an NFT is just allowing you to capture value in ways that were not possible before. Again, this digital scarcity element, but also like brand value, your own value as an artist. You know, I think there will be part of the, well, my thinking went into this 50 billion is existing markets that are very proven that you're just going to capture some of that. And the rest is just also expansionary, like just creating new types of, of, of ways to capture value as an NFT. And so, you know, obviously people should go listen to the episode with Andrew um, and John from Super Air. Andrew was one of the first kind of guys to, to create an NFT fund. And so I think if you, if you really want to drink the Kool-Aid, go listen to that. Uh, but yeah, like put, put that into perspective, like Etsy as a marketplace, it's done 10 billion of gross merchandise value in a year. eBay is doing 100 billion. The global art market is 50 billion. Um, U.S. rare coin market is four billion. This is crazy. Uh, the sneaker reseller market is six billion. Grow, and that's probably one of the fastest growing markets out there. I think the prediction is going to thirty billion uh, in the next five years or so, or you know by twenty thirty, I guess. Sports cards and memorabilia like five six billion. So again, you know, I always like to put this in perspective, um, which is first of all super impressive that we got a fifteen billion. I don't think. I don't think anyone really expected. No, uh, so, even so e, even Andrew was surprised. Fifteen. I think even Andrew in the episode yeah. was super bullish, right? He was surprised by that, that extent. So yeah, yeah. I think NFTs. Um, I, I think the cats out of the back here. Art is, uh, you know, yeah. are in any any brand really. I mean, think about. It. We ended the year with a D, Disney coming out, saying that they had interest. Visa buying a crypto punk. Um, Adidas doing a drop with Board Apes. Like board apes didn't even exist this year. Then you have one of the largest retail like sneaker companies and sports apparel companies go out and do uh, you know a, a a drop with a company that's like, this is six right. months old. Like I think this is just telling you brands are increasingly seeing the value of being relevant and and com- and, and and competing in in a world for attention. And NFTs are 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 doing that for a lot of these brands. And so. Um, yeah, I, I just think fifty billion. My I tweeted about this fifty billion. I think might be underestimating it, but I think reasonably, credibly, we can get there. I have a couple of predictions for uh, NFTs. I think um, NFTs continue to rise up. Uh, fin- the financialization and the integration of DeFi into the NFT market will drive the prices way, way, way up as you no longer need to sell them. Um, and it's the same thing that happens with normal crypto, right? Like, let's say I have a bunch of Bitcoin um, and then I want to buy a big purchase. I want to buy a car. Uh, I want to buy a house, something like that. In the past, I needed to sell the Bitcoin to get it. Now I can take loans out against that Bitcoin. What does that do? Makes it so I don't have to sell the Bitcoin. Same thing is starting to happen with NFTs. When you no longer need to sell the asset to get the cash, uh, aka the financialization of an asset class, you will start seeing much higher prices as there's no need to sell it. Um, that being said, pretty risky. Um, I think, I mean, Mike talks a lot about this, like the financialization of NFTs. This is his thesis, not my, not mine. Will mark the top of the current bull market. Uh, and I think the thesis goes like this. It's, uh, you know, in 2017, ETH went up, money flowed into ICOs. Uh, you get this forced selling dynamic and, and that popped the bubble. In 2021, you kind of have a similar dynamic in ETH and NFTs. ETH goes up, people throw money into NFTs, right? There's a lot of people who... Uh, kind of think of these as like casino chips now. It's like, I'd never pay 10K for an NFT, but yeah, sure, I'll throw three ETH at it, 
right? right? And I think the same, this idea of money gets kind of abstracted away, but then when people actually need the cash, uh, that could, you know, you kind of get this forced mm-hmm. selling and, and the bubble can pop like yeah. that. I think that Mike is, I disagree with Mike because of this financialization. Unlike 2017, you can take loans out against your mm-hmm. ETH uh, and against your NFTs without ever selling yeah, it. Absolutely. So um, I yeah. think that's why his thesis is so, wrong. I also think... Um, no, no, go, no, go for it. Uh, I agree with your thing. NFTs expand beyond just art and collectibles is uh, the second kind of sub prediction there. I also said OpenSea sees really, really strong competition is a big trend for, for next year. You're going to have four... Four, four different groups of competition. One, you have kind of niche competition that I don't think it'll do well. Niche competition is like uh, marketplaces just for in-game NFTs. Those will do okay. We have Justin Kahn, uh, founder of Twitch, coming on the podcast. He just launched something like this. I think those will do okay, but we need to get Justin's mm-hmm. take on this. Second group, geographical competition. Similar to how crypto exchanges dominate on a regional basis, you'll have the same thing with NFTs. Like you have Coinbase in the U.S., you have coin switch uh, like Cooper or something in India. You have like Mercado Bitcoin in Brazil. You have Upbit uh, in Korea. I think I'm getting some of those mm-hmm. right. I don't know the international markets too well, but NFT marketplaces will do the same thing. You'll basically see OpenSea clones in other geographies um, pop up and start to win market share in those locations. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, the second thing. The third is kind of more crypto native competition, like decentralized, more crypto native um, uh, NFT marketplaces mm-hmm. that are not run by like a web two esque company. Um, you'll see a lot of those pop up. And then the third or the fourth bucket, just going to throw it out there is Coinbase, right? Coinbase, mm-hmm. whenever Coinbase comes at your business, <laughs> a little bit worrisome. Yeah. Uh, and I think Coinbase's NFT launch, they had like 10 X the amount of users who signed up for their wait list. Now this is a wait list, but not actually right, users, right. but 10 X the amount of, uh, users that OpenSea has signed up for the, the Coinbase NFT platform. So, I mean, listen. I think. I mean, I think OpenSea is going to do very well in the same yeah. way that Coinbase continues to do well despite all the all the competition. But like, I mean, I mean let, let, they they need to innovate. Let's not forget Shopify. The founder of Shopify, Toby, I think he just uh, has been very vocal around what he wants to do with NFTs. Uh, um, oh, yeah. You know, Visa, and so I, you know, I think um, I, I think we'll. It, it's pretty indicative of, of where this is going. I definitely agree with you. OpenSea vampire attacks are going to come. SOS. Maybe it, maybe not it, uh, hmm. but I think a more professional one, maybe an, an incumbent, maybe an existing player with a lot of distribution like FTX, or Coinbase, or, you know, uh, Argent or whoever, or just a traditional like, you know, Web2 company is going to really want to take this because uh, they, they're cranking so yeah. many fees, right? Um, you know, just to put it in perspective, I mean, uh, you're paying all these, like, they sort of follow the similar model of auction houses like Sotheby's and Christie's, and is that sustainable, you know? you know, your margin is my opportunity kind of mentality. And so I think, uh, you know, they, as of late, right. it's, it's impressive. Look what they've done, but I think there's a lot to be desired here. Um, and, and by the way, I think there's multiple players here, as you said, that, that can capture this expanding market, not just one. Um, I'll also make another prediction here on NFTs because I, you know, we talk about punks and board apes. I think the, fl- the, the, the bottom of punks is 50th. And we reach, we reached that a week, two weeks ago. It was actually a week ago, and I'm very encouraged by Larva Labs, and I, I think it was necessary for the Larva Labs team. What do we have today? 60, 62, 67. I yeah. think it is. 60, so I, yeah. I think, uh, look, punks, I think, are digital Picasso. I think they're they're in so many ways, like, just, I, I love them. So, you know, full disclosure, right? There's no surprise there. 
But I think more importantly, I think this idea of a flipping and, and there's been a lot of pressure around and, and long time punk holders abandoning the ecosystem because, you know, Larva Labs has been when they started, you know, they, 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 they didn't really uh, there's like this creative ownership of IP that is under Larva Labs. But I think they've come out and we should link to this saying, hey, we're exploring creative commons and we want other people to build. And so uh, in line with the open source ethos. And so I think we'll start to see Larva Labs do some collaborations. And I'm looking at like MeBits, maybe. That's probably the more interesting candidate here to bring and use MeBits in these games, right? You have a MeBit, you can use it in some of these games. And so I think uh, for that reason, yeah. that was a big part of why punks kind of were taking a hit. Um, but I think yeah. you know, it's been refreshing to see Larva Labs come out and say that. And I don't think Board Apes uh, will ever surpass the punk floor anymore. Even though, even though board apes as a community and uh, ever no, not no, not next year, maybe never. I don't want to say never, but I, I don't. What does the board? What does the punk floor end twenty twenty two at? Hundredth, hundredth, probably. What is the the yeah. board ape? The board ape board, board um, apes are what like forty something or something? They're fifty. 50. They're fifty. I think, yeah, I think, you know, I think seventy five or and punks yeah. yeah more than that. Um. I think one one interesting thing to look at is like do the Disney's and Marvels and Warner Brothers and that kind of stuff do they issue NFTs? Uh do they issue their own NFTs or do they basically partner with um like do they try to embed the punks and the me bits and the board apes into their stuff or do they issue I mean one obvious one is like all the Marvel uh people like those I mean oh my god that's a NFT uh collection waiting to happen right there. Do they issue their own or do they integrate? Yeah. That's a goal. I mean, Harry Potter, like, like Warner Brothers, like, come on, give me Harry Potter NFTs, Lego NFTs, please. Uh, I was talking to the, in the Solana conference, uh, one of the guys that runs like digital and like new strategy for Coachella and some of these concerts, uh, huge opportunity again, right? Ticket sales and just concerts and all this stuff. It's a good, I have a little alpha leak. I, I can't share it, but there's a big, uh, big crypto thing coming to Coachella. Ooh. So, yeah, I've never been, but yeah, you know, it's good. Um, yeah, there's a, it's going to be very crypto centric this year. Right. I think that announcement comes out very yeah. soon. So. It's a good question. I think they're going to just want to probably do it themselves. Uh, why would they want to dilute? Yeah. Maybe some collaborations, early collaborations, um, uh, as an experiment. But they, they you know, these yeah. brands are probably slow. But um, you know, they just have so much IP, and uh, you know, why would you want to dilute like you know Snow White with a board ape? Like, yeah. All right, I'm going to pull us back in. I have two predictions that. I actually am surprised that you didn't mention them on your predictions. My first one is uh, everything moves multi-chain. I guess you did talk about this with the L1s, but one of my predictions is everything moves multi-chain thank, uh, thanks to breakthroughs in bridging technology and bridging UI UX. Uh, it feels like kind of the two technological issues that crypto hasn't solved yet. Every year we solve more and more tech tech issues, basically. Um, the two remaining technological issues that we have not solved. One is bridging. Bridging still sucks for anyone who's used bridges. You'll know what I'm saying. Uh, and the, uh, the next thing is, uh, ZK, just like just the roll, uh, ZK, ZK rollups, yeah. like roll or, or zero knowledge proofs in general, like seeing applications of zero knowledge proofs. Okay. Yeah, exactly. We have, we, I mean, that's like just really, really complex math. Um, but I think as the number of L ones grows, and more show up like AVAX and Solana and Luna and those kind of things will grow. And like Phantom and Nier you talked about might start showing up more. I think bridges become a lot more important to the ecosystem. Um, and I think dApps will end up using bridges to basically just increase access to other L1s. Uh, and then I think 
beyond that, I think Bridges will end up launching tokens. Um, whether or not that's needed, no idea. Probably not needed. Uh, I, I can't make the argument for why they're needed. I think they'll still launch the tokens, and I think it'll drive interest um, in, in, the, in the Bridges. So I think... That's one predict. I don't know if you have any thoughts on just no. Well, I, I made a few investments in the category, and I totally agree with you. I ultimately envision, as you know, a multi-chain world and and a lot of connectivity between them. So the analogy would be, you know, in in the great sort of expansion, right, of urban development as people went west, like you had to build railroads. Uh, and so in, in urban development, right, not everyone lives in New York; they live in the suburbs. But you need to have good infrastructure and railway systems and subways to connect to connect people. And, and I think someone's going to build this fabric and it's going to be hugely lucrative. It's like owning a piece of a railroad or a highway and being a toll booth operator. Like, um, I think a lot of these will have tokens. I think it's kind of necessary, but, um, um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, there's some really interesting, <clears throat> yeah, there's some really interesting projects that are probably going to launch next year and, and, and increase yeah. the fabric and the connectivity across these different uh, chains. Here's a weird prediction I have which is predictions will make Bitcoin maxis open up to crypto for the first time ever. And the reason being, let me extend this out. So in a multi-chain world, one of the very first, like most obvious things that you need is a way to move assets across these chains. Let's take Bitcoin. If you believe that Bitcoin is this pristine collateral, right? Which all Bitcoin maxis do. It's like this pristine collateral. It's like, it's a perfect store of value. You want to keep it. You never want to sell it. But... Right now, Bitcoin's chain doesn't offer you much utility. Right now, if you want utility and you want like yield from your Bitcoin, you have to go like give it to basically a centralized company, which is very antithetical to Bitcoin. Right, you have to go give it to like a BlockFi or Unchained Capital or one of mm-hmm. these people. Which I love all those companies. They're still very much the antithesis of Bitcoin, which is not your keys, not not your crypto. Right, so Bitcoin's chain doesn't offer you much utility. You don't want to sell it, but you want some utility. Maybe you want to bring it onto ETH chain mm-hmm. and get some yield. Right? How the hell do you do it? You need a way to do it. Enter bridges. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's as simple as yeah. that. So, um, I think bridges will be really interesting. The next prediction that I had that uh, you actually didn't talk about. I don't think you mentioned DAOs mm-hmm. in any of your mm-hmm. predictions. I think DAOs. I have a couple predictions with DAOs. One is DAO tooling finally gets pretty good, and DAO infrastructure gets good. I think this one's pretty obvious. Um, just because there's, you know, they've raised so much venture money in 2021. I think DAO infrastructure will get a lot better. And I think like this past year, DAOs had this massive year, right? But there are still some pretty core problems that need to be addressed before going mainstream, like uh, the constitution DAO return of funds, like just different infrastructure mm-hmm. problems that are pretty easy, I think. Um, and infrastructure like shout out Syndicate DAO and some others, I think they will really improve the DAO experience. So that's one, DAO tooling gets better. Um, and I think the second is a lot of the DAO projects won't actually take off much, mm. um, but they will raise a bunch of money. And what happens there is they will basically all start doing venture investing and they will just turn into venture DAOs. So you're going to have a ton of projects. They raise like 300 million bucks to go do this thing. They realize they don't have the right team or it's really freaking hard to build something in a fully decentralized manner, but they have 300 million bucks. And then their their founders are really well connected. So they start seeing all these venture deals. More and more DAOs start getting on cap tables like we talked about in the last episode and everyone just turns into a venture DAO. So I think DAOs 10X their VC investing next year when their projects kind of pitter patter. I can definitely see that for sure. Uh, I like how you frame it, which is like these token governed communities. Um, And... You know, I think you need you need value to coordinate humans, 
without value, this is why I think like tokens are so use, like useful. Whether you believe the value of the token is there or not, or governance tokens or whatever, in the absence of having a token, it's really hard to do coordination. You need to transact. Think about like early civilization. Trade was super important to increase connectivity between like the Phoenicians and the ancient Greeks and, and Egyptians. Like without, trade was the, the fluid. The trade was what connected people, right? And tokens do that in the digital context. And their token governed communities are super early, super nascent. I'm glad you brought this up. Um, I hope that it's not just VC uh, endeavors, um, whereas we can start doing some really interesting things around you know, universal basic income, um, around just events, uh, like friends with benefits type of style, right? Like coordinating certain interest groups. And, and I hope that's, um, you combine that with gaming and, and NFTs. And, you know, I think it sets the stage. Is it this cycle? Uh, I would agree with you. DAO tooling needs it needs to come because coordinate coordinating people in these open source systems where anyone can come and go is very difficult. You know, people are staking and have value at stake, um, but still, it's uh, it's difficult to coordinate. You still ha- need to have some hierarchy. So I think DAOs without hierarchy are going to struggle and face this conundrum, which is you need to have always some hierarchy and rules and logic in place. Yeah. One last prediction I want to share here. I still stand by. This is a prediction I said in 2021 in January that did not did not happen. I want to double down Let's on the go. prediction. I think a crypto company will make a five billion dollar acquisition of a financial services player for regulatory reasons and for their customers. I think it will be. I don't think it's any surprise who it'll be. I think it'll be either a Coinbase or an FTX or. Someone of that nature, I mean, crypto.com has spent over a billion dollars just on sports marketing alone, right? 5x that, and you can buy a major bank. So I think there's a $5 billion acquisition of financial services player. They would acquire all of their customers. They would also acquire all of the regulations. And it makes it very tough for a regulator to then come after yeah, them. Absolutely. I, I think I would, I would agree with you that M&A is going to pick up substantially. Uh, haven't people said this though? By the they, way, every year it's yeah. like, what's what's the big trend next year? M and A is going to increase. Well, you, There's always some M&A, fair, but like, know, I'm always surprised that you're already seeing that, right? I mean, we talked about uh, the the Fay yeah. and uh, and Rari uh, M and A like acquisition. That's interesting. True. Uh, but yeah, look, it's it's specifically around banks because DeFi is is much more built and robust now. Um, and I think that might be a really interesting, if, if, assuming we get some regulatory clarity, then I think it just really, really opens up this acquisition frenzy that you're going to see. Because banks are going to scramble. Here's the, best, here's the best part. Here's the best part of this whole conversation, Santi, is that in 2017, 2018, 2019, the conversation was, why aren't banks acquiring crypto companies? If I'm a bank and I'm a traditional financial institution, I should really start acquiring crypto company. Go out and buy a Fireblocks if you're BNY Mellon. Go out if you're State Street and buy BitGo. The conversation has flipped. It has flipped from financial institutions and banks buying crypto companies. They have missed their opportunity. The valuations are too high. The crypto companies have now become more valuable than the financial services institutions. Correct. Look at how we're talking about it. It's now crypto companies will buy the banks instead of Absolutely. banks will buy I mean, the crypto D- companies. D- DeFi protocols are worth more yeah. than Deutsche Bank and have like 20 employees. Now, like... They're Love cranking it. out more cash flow. Like, you know, the world, Love it. maybe the world is going to end. Like, if I were to look at all my predictions, just to kind of round it out and say, which one is the one that I'm most, most excited about? I think I'll have to say, like, gaming and DeFi. Uh, and, and this is what I am more 
comfortable in, in investing. I see these two worlds really converging. The mega trend really is the, the younger generations understand this. The boomers not so much, which is our relationship with money is changing in a very drastic way. How we think about money and what that really means yeah, is ultimately utility driven. And there's a lot of utility in this ecosystem. And it's transacted in something like ETH when you're buying an NFT or in-game assets. And we always think about, oh, this bizarre model is not very scalable. But it really is when you have this coordination mechanisms and fluidity in this like digital context. And so I ultimately think that like, you know, people are starting to slowly wake up this idea that one, they want to hold digital assets and and you want to optimize for what brings you more utility and satisfaction and, and pleasure. And increasingly, I think you talked about a really interesting point, which is the, the sectorization of crypto which is super powerful. Underneath that is this idea that there is a lot of value and utility in this. And I will emphasize this over and over because in 2017, you couldn't tell someone, hey, go try these applications. Maybe Augur, maybe 0x, but it wasn't really built out. And so you, you were standing there and saying, well, just hold, just hold it because hold Bitcoin, hold Ethereum because this is a, a technology bed and yada, yada, yada. And people are like, you know what? Like, no. Today, you can credibly tell them, go out and play DeFi Kingdoms. Go out and check out Axie. Go out and, and, and try DeFi and come back and tell me if you don't like this. And I think this, 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 this mental shift in the idea of onboarding people and convincing them to come to this world is increasingly not so much of believing this crazy version <laughs> that us crypto anarchist punk heads believe in. It's like, no, listen, agree with me that your experience in Web2 is broken that you don't like it, increasingly so. Now, let me open a door for you and come into this world. Just check it out. Try it out. Don't go crazy. Just spend some time on it. And come back to me and tell me if you don't think that this is the future. And it's now easier for everyone yeah. across multiple facets and dimensions to convince people, to onboard them. And this is why, if I zoom out all of this, I think the common, you tell me if you disagree, but I think we'll, we'll probably go mainstream next year. I have the exact same thesis we should be podcast co-hosts or something god yeah i know uh, we uh <laughs> <laughs> we uh my actually my, i was gonna end it with just like a one-liner um which is like i think if you're an outsider looking in like i get texts like this every day it's like why are you know what i still don't get crypto it seems like a big casino and you know unlike what everyone says on crypto twitter like i totally understand and i empathize with people outside looking in like the nft market's gone completely haywire like DeFi kind of feels like a big casino with like three thousand percent apys i actually completely understand why people see crypto as this big casino still i really do i really totally get it 2022 is the year that it becomes impossible to see this industry as just a big casino that's the main thing like you're going to get more real world applications like honestly like non- uh, like physical, not digital applications of crypto, like more helium type companies. Um, you're going to get like where people are actually using crypto who don't even really know anything about crypto. You're going to get more uh, just like non-financial crypto players, like leaning more into NFTs as NFTs get outside of just collectibles and art. Uh, you're going to get a lot more gamers. The gamers will start accepting this stuff. You're going to see some really, really wild stuff happening with sports and crypto still uh, and like movies and crypto. Um, and it's just like, I, I really do think that 
Like I'm, I'm kind of sick of trying to quote unquote convince people that crypto is real. Like that's not really yeah. where I try to spend <laughs> yeah. time. Um, but I do think that this is the year where people start saying that, you know, the people who've been texting me for years saying like, NFTs are a bubble. Bitcoin's bad for the environment. Like all, all of these kind absolutely, of absolutely. every six months, every six months, one of these one liners, it's like, I think this is the year yeah. that they say, Oh my God, there's, there's actually this kind of cool aspect of crypto that I found. They're not going to understand all of crypto. Yeah. They're not going to, they're going to think most of it is a bubble, but they're going to, everyone will find mm-hmm. some aspect of crypto interesting for them. And that happens absolutely. next year. Here's the thing. We, we, so. we've been in this. And I think if you look at like Carlota, Carlota Perez book on technology, like revolutions, the way I think about it is early on, it's on the fringes early on. It's, it's, you're trying to pull people in. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I think you try to convince them. It's, it's been hard for me to convince people. Probably has been hard for you as well over the last 10 years. It's been, it's been difficult to the point that I dread these conversations, uh, you know, of non-crypto people. Um, it's always the same questions and it's always the same skepticism and some of it is well-founded. Um, and now I think we're, we're at this inflection point where it flips and it goes from, uh, instead of, instead of trying to pull people, it's sort of push. We get, we get a lot of. Um, and maybe, or maybe it's the inverse, but you, you know what I'm trying to say? Like now people come here without us having to truly make this pulling teeth argument. Um, I, I think, and, and it might be to your point, they may not even realize that they're using crypto. They may be onboarded by their financial institution or whatever. Um, and, and, and then once they discover, they go on this rabbit hole, which is super beautiful and powerful and each in their own way might have a, a discovery process that is unique to them. And, um, yeah. You know, I think like um, that's super powerful uh, that I think we we're finally, I think, delivering on the third pillar of why technology really gets adopted, which is it's faster. Well, it's better. It's faster and it's cheaper. And I think the last two are really the two things that are going to come to fruition. You know, it's 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 definitely going to be faster. Your experience is going to be better and and it's going to be cheaper um, in many respects. And so. Uh, this is why technology only gets adopted, not not because it you know people believe and there's always diehard fans about all kinds of random stuff, but I think the best, beautiful, most powerful technology gets adopted because it's better, full stop, 10x better, and you faced with the choice of continuing to use your bank account paying you zero, or a DeFi protocol, like that's it, game over. I agree. Game over. <laughs> game over. <Cool. laughs> not so much game game on game on let's go game on baby game on uh any anything else here any anything that we missed any any bold predictions from you well eth to 100k what what are we looking at here like uh any price predictions empire's gonna be number one podcast in crypto the last one the last one will say empire (laughs) honestly this has been super refreshing i this this is the highlight of my week i just get to sit here you do all 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 the heavy lifting uh it's been great um i hope people are enjoying this uh we're gonna continue to do it whether you like it or not if you don't like it just let us know um and why but uh, but yeah no I, I think uh, we we want to be the number one crypto podcast let's get there I think we will so that's that's my that's my my hope hopeful hopium prediction uh, but I think we'll uh, we'll make a we'll make a run at it for sure I completely agree uh, on that note a couple calls calls to action here um, we have some amazing amazing episodes coming up in Q one. Uh, we've got Kyle and Tushar, first episode of January. Kyle and Tushar from Multicoin. We've got Gabby from YGG. Uh, we've got Joey Krug from Pantera, um, one of the early, early DeFi guys. We've got Ben Foreman, founder of Parify, one of the most successful crypto funds. Uh, we've got 
um, Jeff Dorman talking about activist DeFi investing from ARCA. We've got Amy Wu from Lightspeed talking about gaming. Jim Bianco, traditional financial player, coming on to talk about DeFi. Justin Kahn, founder of Twitch, talking about Solana and NFTs. Arthur Chung from uh, uh, Defiance. We've got all uh, probably Ali or uh, Ariana Simpson from Andreessen. We've got Rob Leshner from Compound. We've got Meltem Demirs from CoinShares. If you want to listen to all of these episodes and hear the alpha before anybody else, please, please, please subscribe on Apple, subscribe on Spotify, and Spotify just released the ability to actually rate the podcast. Give us five stars on Apple. Give us five stars on Spotify. If you're watching on YouTube, as Santiago hates when I say it, hit that subscribe button. Um, and yeah, guys, and also just a massive shout out to all the people who make this podcast run behind the scenes. Uh, Brianna and Crystal and Reed and Will at Blockworks. Thank you so much. Uh, and also just the biggest thank you to everyone for giving us your time, right? You can be doing so many other things uh, while you're you know, doing the dishes or on a walk or wherever you listen to this show. So just really, really appreciate you listening. And uh, yeah, looking forward to a big, big 2022 with, with all of you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. It's been great. See you in 2022. All right, my friend. See you in 2022. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.